Morning, everybody. Good to have you with us today. My name's Tim. Welcome to Greater Alton Church. And um, it's great to be together on, what is it, Super Bowl Sunday? Is that what they call it? I don't know. When the Packers are not in the Super Bowl, I don't even have any interest anymore. So what are the teams again? Patriots and um, the Falcons. The Falcons. Well, let's hope it's a good game and we have good food. That's what you settle for. That's what you settle for when you're watching and your team's not in there. Um, again, it's good to be with you this, uh, this morning. We're in a series of lessons uh, that we're calling The Seven. And today we're going to look at a church uh, in Thyatira. It's in a small town uh, that makes up part of the postal route uh, here in uh, Asia Minor. And it's a church that tolerated more than God did. Um, if you look at this map here, let's see if we got a map. Do we have a map? We had a map in the first service. There it is. You'll see that word, that, that uh, island there, Patmos. That's where John uh, was writing the book of Revelation. And uh, he sends this to these churches in Asia Minor. That's also Turkey now. It's called Turkey. And uh, we see that uh, the order in which the letters were, were, were given or written happened to be the order of this mailing route. For example, the first city was Ephesus. The second city, which just the red dot just above, is Smyrna. The top dot was what we did last week. And what city was that? Pergamum. Thank you for remembering that sermon. Uh, church in Pergamum. Then the dot, the dot just below it, that's Thyatira. Then Sardis, Philadelphia, and then Laodicea. But uh, that's, that's the order in which they are written in the book of Revelation. Today we're looking at that one dot in between the upper two dots there. And that's the city of Thyatira. Now Thyatira wasn't a big town. It wasn't like uh, Ephesus. It wasn't like Smyrna where it had all the it's all these temples and things. And Pergamum, no, not even close. Nothing like Pergamum. No, this town was built by Alexander the Great. And it was more of a garrison, more of a place that housed soldiers. And it was a blue-collar town. It didn't have but one temple, one major temple, and that was to Apollo. So there was no emperor worship pressure there. There was a lot of temple worship pressure there. It was just a little old town. And yet this little bitty town has the longest letter written to it. The longest letter of all the letters was written to this insignificant, unimportant city. Let's read it together here up on the screen. This is what the book of Revelation says to the church of Thyatira in Revelation 2, 18 through 29. To the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service and perseverance. Wow, there's a lot there. And that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. I'll not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one 
who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. The one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And what we've been learning through these churches that uh, John is writing to and from the book of Revelation is, what kind of church does God want? And we learn sometimes from what He doesn't want, what He really wants. And so all these churches, with the exception of two, are commended and reprimanded. Only two churches out of this seven are commended, and there's no uh, correction given or scolding given. Very interesting as you read this. What a tough passage, huh? I found this to be a very tough lesson to prepare for. It's got a lot of harsh stuff in it, a lot of serious stuff. And it's written to this little bitty insignificant town, this blue-collar town. doesn't have a lot going on. You know, most of us live in towns that, well, we're not New York, we're not Los Angeles. You know, we're Alton. You know, maybe some of you from Edwardsville. That town's starting to have some things happen. Alton's losing a lot of its stores, and it's kind of going downhill. Um, I remember when I moved here in 1985, and someone said, uh, they found out I moved here. I said, yeah, we moved here. I've always wanted to live here. And the person said, Why? I said, because the tallest man that ever lived, outside of Goliath, lived here. And I've always been fascinated by that since the third grade. And it wasn't but a year or so that they put up that Robert Wadlow statue there. And Denise and I got to watch that. It was exciting. But, uh, you know, we may not have a lot going for us in this area, so to speak. But i tell you what I learned from this letter, this longest letter uh, to this church at Thyatira. And that is that no matter how insignificant you or I may be, whatever town we're living in, what you believe and what you do matter to God. doesn't matter how insignificant you feel. You know, this, this town, Thyatira, like I say, it housed soldiers and it became a Roman garrison later after Alexander the Great. And it was kind of a buffer zone, so to speak. They were the expendables. What do you mean, Tim? Well, if you were going to attack a major city of Pergamum or Sardis, you had to go through Thyatira. And Thyatira was just there to slow the army down. That was basically their job, was just to slow that, that army down a little bit to give the other town time to prepare for battle. And yet Jesus writes to this church there that doesn't have a lot of, doesn't have emperor worship, doesn't have a lot of cultural pressure, but yet it is having some conflict with the culture, like Pergamum. But it's coming not from temples as much as it's coming from people that they're living with. So what do we learn? What can we learn from this church? Well, I learned from Thyatira that we all, the greater Alton church, will be the kind of church God wants when each of us do these things. One, when I trust Jesus over anything else or everything else. That's the first thing. That I trust Jesus over everything else. What a way to start this letter. To the angel of the church of Thyatira write, he says in verse 18, these are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. 
He's describing himself this way. He says, I've got eyes of fire and I've got feet of bronze. Now, one of the chief trades in Thyatira was metalworking. And so they, uh, they understood when he was saying fire because the fires in Thyatira, the furnaces burned constantly. They would take that ore, that raw material, and put it through the fire and come out with metals of bronze and silver and sometimes even gold. So they understood about the fire, how intense it is, how fire takes away all the impurity, fire takes away all the slag, the, the smelting process. And, and if you lived in Thyatira, you could even smell the, the stuff you smell like when you're living next to a steel plant. That coke, that uh, coal, uh, the, the fires, you could see the smoke. So they were familiar with this, this idea. There's only one major temple in Thyatira, and it's Apollo. And he's the son of Zeus, and he's called the son of God. And Jesus, right off the bat, lets this church know, I'm the son of God, not Apollo. And I am not, I am the son of God that is risen and reigning right now. Not Zeus, not Apollo. And he describes himself over and over again in the book of Revelation. I want to read a passage to you. This is in Revelation 1. Is it up on the screen? Do we have that? Good. I'm glad you guys have it. I don't have it yet. Revelation chapter 1, in, it, right, in, in the first chapter, it says this. It's, it says, uh, in verse 11, it says, He heard a voice saying, Write on the scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And he names them in the order which we had just uh, looked at. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. He said, I turned around. So I heard this voice. I turned around to see this voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of God, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. If you've ever been to Colorado and had the maybe been fortunate enough to go to Black Canyon of the Gunnison River, there is a rapids at the bottom of this canyon. It's a beautiful canyon. And you go, go to the bottom of this canyon, the rapids, the sound of the rapids is so loud it will make you deaf. They tried to make a, a, a railroad in the 1800s there. And the workers, they couldn't do it. They couldn't finish it because the workers were, were going deaf and no one wanted to go there anymore. Just the sound of rushing water. So this is a voice that is do, it just dominates, dominates the ear. In his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sh sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet. I'll bet. This is the Son of God. Not a dead corpse, but alive. Not, not hiding from anyone, but reigning above all. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. His eyes, like blazing fire, can... I just think about Peter when he's, when he's uh, denying Jesus, and Jesus, Luke says, he looks and their eyes meet. It's piercing. He sees right into us like a fire past all of the, 
the facade and, and the exterior, burns it all away and gets to the truth, gets to the heart of the matter. And he reveals what lasts, what's eternal, what matters. He sees past appearance and sees how we really are, how things really are. You can trust Jesus Christ if He says that's what it is, then that's what it is. His eyes burn through time and can see in the future. You know, Apollos can't do this. I can't do that. I can't even predict for you who's going to win the Super Bowl. But Jesus already knows. He sees into the future. Reassuring every Christian on earth, you've got nothing to worry about because I am already there. And His feet of bronze? What's that all about? Well, they're like feet that glow, like bronze that glow in a furnace, like polished bronze. And if you know anything, reading, just do a search on feet of bronze, you find out that it's, that that phrase is saying, I am strong. I am secure. Bronze is tough stuff, folks. And I'm victorious. Micah 4.13 says that with the feet of bronze, he tramples his enemies. Apollo can't do that. What kind of feet do you have? Same as mine, feet of clay. We can't do this. But Jesus Christ can. And He reassures you and I, as we live in a culture that is changing, that sometimes puts pressure on us to cave, to compromise, He says, I've got you. You need to respect and fear Me more. Because I am the Son of God, the resurrected Lord. I'm the King of kings and Lord of lords. No king can compare to me because I'm in charge. I'm truly in charge. So you can trust me. If I tell you this is the way it's going to happen, this is the way it's going to happen. If I tell you you're going to be okay, you're going to be okay. If I tell you that I care about you, I deeply care about you. You can count on that and bank on that. Why? Because I can do what I claim. Apollo can't, and neither can you. Revelation 17 says this, They'll make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will defeat them, because He is Lord of lords and King of kings. He will defeat them, look at this, with His called, chosen, and faithful followers. Who are they? They are you. There is church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he wants this church to know it. Thyatira, because I'll tell you what, this is a tough lesson. This is a tough, tough reprimand he's given this church. When he says, I see all this good stuff, but he's wanting them to know understand. You can trust me when I'm saying this. I will take care of you. You keep trusting me. And when I point something out that, that you need to change, it's not because I hate you. It's because I love you. It's because I believe in you. So trust me more than anything else if you're going to get through this, if you're going to be victorious. That's the first thing. If we're going to be, guys, look, if we're going to be a church that God wants us to be, it's going to mean we need to, we need to really trust the Lord here. 
whatever, we're, whatever you're going through, you need to trust the Lord. Really put your faith to the test. And trust what God wants. You see, because you've got your idea of what you think church ought to be. I've got my idea of what I think church ought to be, right? You've got, you know, I'll, I'll do this if, I'll do this if. God, Jesus says, I want you to do this, period. And so what He wants His church to be, that's what we need to be after. That's what I'm after. It's not the church of Tim. I don't know if you noticed the reference in there. He says, this Jezebel woman's causing my servants. You're not my servants. You're not my people. You are God's people. You are God's servants. This is the church of God. And no one else. And so what does He want us to be matters more than anything else. Oh, the pressure of the culture. Even the religious culture says, well, you need to be this kind of church, that kind of church. Do this, do this. And I understand. And some of it's good ideas, but I, I tell you what, I want to make sure above all that we're after what God wants and not the latest thing. We have to be this. We've got to be this. That's what I learned from Thyatira. That he says, I've got to have the church I want in the insignificant towns. I've got to have the Christian that I desperately need and want in that job that no one knows I have. In that position that no one else may even see. Got to have me there. I've got to be there. And how do I get there? By trusting Jesus' Word over my preferences and over the pressures of my culture. Number two, I learned from Thyatira that we, as a church, will be the church God wants when I bring my faith into everything I do. I would even say this, when I bring my love for God and my faith in God into everything, all my life, into everything I do. You know, Thyatira is a pretty good church. Listen to this, what he says, Jesus says, I know your deeds. I know your love. They're a loving church. Ephesus lost their love. Thyatira's got it. I know of your faith. I think Smyrna is known for their faith. For your service. For your perseverance. That's Pergamum. They got what some... What per, yeah. And, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. He says, You're growing. You're even doing more than what you did when you first started following me. And unlike Ephesus, Thyatira is serving with love and faith, and they're doing more. And it's a great place, a great church. But then Jesus says, nevertheless. What? Nevertheless. Are you kidding me? Jesus, are you picky? Man, Tim, I wouldn't point things out unless I cared about them. And I wouldn't point things out to you. And to, to and by the way, he wouldn't point things out to you either unless he loved it and he loved you. And he wanted you to have this. He wanted you to be this. Nevertheless, he points out a problem. What is it? Well, there are some people in Thyatira that are wanting to have it all. 
They want to have it all. Look what it says here. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel. Who? Jezebel. Who's she? Is this a real woman? Looks like it. Is her name Jezebel? I'm not so sure. I don't, I'm not so sure. You know, there's some names you just don't use. Let's see. Years ago, Denise and I were picking, you get that baby name book out, you know, and you're looking at them. All the names. What am I going to choose? Judas? I don't think so. And when my sons were picking out names, you know, for their, for their daughters, let's see. Uh, I don't think Jezebel made the top ten. <laughs> the top 100. Who names your kid Judas? If, you're, if you've got Judas in your name, I'm so sorry. Who names their kid Jezebel? I think I'll name my son Benedict Arnold Gill. That sounds good. Adolf Hitler Gill. Too soon. You know, Charles Manson Gill. No, 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 no. We can't do that. Donald Trump Gill. No, 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 no. <laughs> wow. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's certain names you just don't want to be a part of. And so this is not a necessarily the person's name, but it is a person that reminds Jesus and wants to remind Thyatira of a woman in the Old Testament named Jezebel. She calls herself a prophet, he says. And look at it says, By her teaching she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. You know, some people think this could be Lydia. You know, she was from Thyatira and she came back and things got sideways. I don't think so. Well, is this uh, an elder's wife? Now, I've met some elder's wives. And I have to admit, I've thought to myself, possible, could be. But I'm not so sure. Is this a pagan woman? Well, she's a member of this church. She's a part of their church. No, she's just reminding them of this woman that was married to one of the worst kings you ever want to meet, King Ahab. You find that story in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, and you find that she was just awful. She worshipped God and claimed to love God, but she also worshipped Baal. She worshipped two gods at one time. She concocts a plan to get somebody's vineyard because her husband's pouting. He's pouting because he can't have this vineyard. So he finds a way to have an accident to get this land for her husband. She's known as the one who seduces Israel into Baal worship. And just like Balaam and the Nicolaitans in Pergamum and in Ephesus, she's promoting a certain kind of idea, a certain kind of belief. What is it? It's this belief that you can have it all. You see, in Thyatira, the thing it was best known for was its guilds. It was known for its associations, unions, labor unions. I mean, there was a guild for everything you can imagine. Pottery, linen, Lydia. The dyers had a guild. Lydia was part of a guild. No doubt about it. When she was met in Acts 16 by Paul, she was 
a member of one of these guilds in Thyatira at the time. There was a slave traders guild, a metal workers guild, a baker's guild. Guild for everybody. And being a member of the guild meant you were part of more than just a labor union. You were part of a very select and special community of people that shared your same skills. It was like family. Now some of you say, well, what's wrong with that? That's kind of cool. I mean, I, I work at places, I've worked at place, I've worked at a place here long enough that, you know, some of these people are like family to me, right? I know their kids. I know their birthdays. I, I see photographs, you know, of their family. I've, I've got to know them pretty well. What's wrong with that? Well, nothing wrong with that. Until you start re- doing a little more, a little more digging here. See, back then there were no, there was no, no such thing as workman's comp. You got hurt, uh, there was no workman's comp insurance. There was no uh, IRA Roth or 401k plan for your retirement. There was no unemployment insurance when you lost your job. What would happen is, as you paid these guilds, you paid your dues, the guilds would then take care of you if you lost your job, or if you got hurt on the job, or if you retired, because you were family to them. You were part of a special group. Now, there's a catch to this. You say, well, that's kind of cool. Well, there's a catch. And the catch is this. You were obligated as a member of the guild to participate in their festivals, company dinners. You've been to a company dinner, company Christmas party, and it goes sideways. Something gets out of hand. Well, this festival, they, they would eat together, but they'd also go to Apollo's temple and they would worship. And then it would get, I don't know, Jews gone wild, Romans gone wild. It was, you know, spring break at Thyatira. It got crazy until they were involved in orgies. So now you can imagine what the Christian must have been going through. I can't do this anymore. Hey Amen, we're going down. I can't. I'm sorry. I, what do you mean? You got to. You're a part of the guild, man. Uh, what am I going to do? Because, see, if you refuse to participate with the guild, you risk losing your job, losing your benefits, losing your friends. And a lot of times these, these guilds employed your family too. And so you'd lose your relationship with your family. Your whole livelihood depended on your connection and participation of the guild so in Thyatira, it was either Christ or your career. It's about to get tough. You either choose Christ or your career. And then Jezebel, this woman comes along in this church and says, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, do we have to do that? Why can't we do both? Let's figure out how we can do both here. You don't have to make one choice over the other. You don't have to choose. What harm is it in participating in these, in these festivals and stuff? I mean, sometimes to get along, you've got to go along. You don't have to believe all that stuff. Just participate enough to keep the benefits there and going. In fact, instead of two separate choices, let's separate something else. Let's separate your church life from your work life. 
That's what she's promoting. Just like Jezebel separated Jehovah life and Baal life. So you can have your faith over here and you can have your other life over there and everything will be good. There will be no problem. You know, today, I, I don't know, I, I don't feel the threat of Apollo or orgies or the lure of orgies as a big pressure in, in my, in my uh, career. But I'll tell you what, folks, the guilds are alive and well in America. Aren't they? I mean, I might be able to think of something. But I don't know of anything that rivals more with America's love for God than their devotion to their career. It's up there, isn't it? I mean, family's up there. Sure. Pleasure can be up there. But I tell you, old, old job is trying to jockey for position. It's trying to get there. How do I know that? Well, I just notice as I have lived now close to 60 years that um, that the career be, can become more of a growing influence in most of the choices I make in life. What do you mean, Tim? Well, sometimes my career has it becomes more and more influential in you would say, let's say, um, my plans, my dreams, and even my energy. And what happens to the, to, to the kingdom of God? What's it get? Many times it gets the leftovers. Am I right? It gets the leftovers. You know, the, we're going to have this March Madness coming up. And uh, we're going to need help with this. We're going to, I, I need a crew of at least ten people to help clean up after these games so we can have our church building ready. And you know what I'm going to run into people saying? I can't make it because I'm too busy. Well, I've, I've, I have to work. Well, Tim, you have to work. I know. But you see what I'm, I'm saying? It, it shows itself up like this occasionally. I can't make it to small group. Why? Because I'm working. I don't, I'm, I'm too busy. I've got other plans. The pressure of family. Hey, we're doing this together. Some of you here are going to have a Super Bowl party, but you have no intention of bringing anybody to it. You're not even thinking about members here that need it. You're not thinking about guests that could enjoy some Christian fellowship. You're just going to go watch the game. Sit and soak. Did I tell you this is going to be a tough lesson? We get this pressure. This pressure, not from, listen, not from emperor worship. That's not happening. Not from, not from any of the other temples or the gods. No, this pressure is right where I live. It's right where I work. It's, it's from people. And that pressure starts starts encouraging me to separate my belief and my behavior. And when you start separating 
your belief system from your behavior, your morals are going to go down the tubes. That's what happens here. You see, you cannot, listen, you cannot separate believing in God and following God. You either follow Him or not. Believe Him or not. And when you say, oh, I believe in God, does He go everywhere you go? Is he, do you believe and follow Him in everything? Or do you have those little small pockets, those little guilds that you won't surrender? Jesus said these words, You cannot be a slave of two masters. Jesus, the one with the blazing eyes of fire, the feet of bronze says, the Son of God who rules says, you can't have two masters. You're going to hate one or love the other. Follow one, refuse to follow the other. You can't have both. You've got to choose. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. Let me read a passage to you. Uh, I asked you all to read 1 Peter and 2 Peter last week. Well, I didn't. I messed up. So I started reading in the first service. Let me tell you, I, I, got, I just started reading this thinking, okay, Thyatira is getting this letter. Thyatira is, is getting 1 Peter. What passages would kind of relate to what's going on there? And I found this one in 1 Peter 4. 1 through 5. And see if this doesn't relate to Thyatira. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. What's that mean? Jesus got ready to suffer. He knows it isn't easy. It isn't easy loving God and having faith and believing and trusting his God in a culture that's always trying to get us to compromise. He says, arm yourselves with the same attitude because. He who suffered in his body is done with sin. He made a decision. He's not going to have both. Now, you might do both. You know what I'm saying? Am I right? Sometimes you're going to do both. Okay. But you don't want it to be both, right? No, of course not. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. He's saying everywhere he goes now, it's about the will of God, not about my boss's desires, my co-worker's desires, my friend's desires, my family's desires, my own desires. But the desire of God. Does that make sense? This is Thyatira. Thyatira's reading this going, huh. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. The culture. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies. I read that in Revelation. Carousing and... And detestable idolatry. Read that also in Thyatira. They think it's strange. Who? The culture. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. They give you pressure. They put it on you. Not Apollo. Apollo don't do anything to me. Apollo scare you. Apollo don't scare me. But I have to admit there's some things that do put pressure on me to want to cave. Put pressure on me to want to bend. And they heap abuse on you, but they will have... Listen, here's what, here's what the Son of God with feet of bronze says. But they will have to give account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. He says, you will answer. 
they will answer. Everyone will answer to what they do with what they believe. And my friends, listen church, Greater Alton Church, we will answer to what we believe. Jesus says you can't have both. Why not? Because your heart can only go one way or the other. That's why He says your heart will always be where your treasure is. And that's what the eyes of fire look past. The paycheck, the house, the car. They're looking at your heart. He's look, those eyes are looking at the heart going, what does your heart reveal? Let me ask you a question. Are you living a double life? God doesn't want that. We'll never be the church God wants if you decide to live a double life. If I live a double life. I need to bring my faith, I need to bring my love for God into everything. And number three, <laughs> boy, I'm going to take a breath here. Number three, we're the church that God wants. We can be the church that God wants when I express God's love to everyone. You may not see it this way when I read this passage, but I want you to just think about, see if there's God's love anywhere when we read, uh, we read this passage in Revelation in just a minute here. Let me ask you something. Where do you draw the line when it comes to tolerance and intolerance? Where do you draw the line? You know, right now the dominant theme in our culture can be summed up in one word. Tolerance. Have you noticed that? More and more pressure to tolerate more and more things that are not pleasing to the Lord. I read this. This is a definition I found. This is what tolerance is. It gives two definitions. The ability or willingness to tolerate something in particular the existence of opinions or behavior that one does not necessarily agree with. And then number two, a permissible limit of variation in an object. What's he talking about there? Well, I used to work as a machinist, a tool and die maker, and you'd make a part, you had to make it within the tolerance for it to work properly. Within allowances. That's the tolerance. What do you allow? Where's your tolerance when it comes to the things of God. See, there, there seems to be a lot of confusion, and I'm, I'm kind of in that boat too. A lot of confusion as to what intolerance and tolerance mean in our society today. And yet I know, I know that the stability of our society and this church depend on practicing both. Right? Got to have both. Charles Colson said it this way, True tolerance is not a total lack of judgment. It's knowing what should be tolerated and refusing to tolerate that which shouldn't. How tolerant are you? What do you tolerate? What do you think God wants us to tolerate? Because He's got some things here at this church in Thyatira He doesn't tolerate. I mean, how tolerant are you when it comes to height? The height of a person. You say, huh? Well, it may not be a big deal to you. But at Six Flags, it's, it seems to be. I'll never forget one time, Ashley Cox and I, we were going to go ride the Sky Loop. You guys remember the Sky Loop? It had that one loop. It was the first 
and only looped around roller coaster. And Ashley is teeny-weeny. I want to ride the Sky Loop. Robert is okay. Yeah, sure, okay. So we go over to the Sky Loop, and they got this little policeman. Got his hand out, you know, sign. You've got to be this tall. And she gets under, and she is a half inch short, and she starts crying. Oh, my. I want to run this ride. I want to really run this ride. Well, Ashley, they're saying, you know, oh, why are they doing that? Well, they got to get short people. I want to ride the ride. I know you want to ride the ride. Hey, come on, follow me. And we went around the restrooms, and I got some toilet paper and put them in her shoes. And within five minutes, she had grown a half inch. Six Flags is not going to tell me what's acceptable and unacceptable. I know. I had no kids at the time. This is not my kid. Remember that when you're giving somebody to watch your kids. Not their kid. So we get in, we strap in, and I notice, man, that strapped in tight. But Ashley is loose as a goose. And the ride starts. And she holds her hands up. Yeah! And I'm going, ah! Why? Because she's about to come out of the seat. And I'm holding her down. And then it hit me. Maybe Six Flags knows what they're talking about. You got a height tolerance? I guarantee you, when you're picking a basketball team, you're not thinking about short people. You practice it. Come on. What about weight? Oh, damn. Weight. I said it. Weight. What about weight? You say, oh, I think that's it's wrong what they do. Yeah, I remember I was a freshman in high school. I was five foot two, weighed 98 pounds. I hated it. 98. 98's not a good poundage. In a sentence, I've heard it said, the 98-pound weakling. I don't like that. I've tried my best to get to 99. I just couldn't get it done. 98. I go out for football. All the halfbacks. Anybody wants to be halfback on the team? Over here. I walk over. I do not have enough strength to take the helmet off my head. That is the truth. That is the truth. I had to ask a linebacker to take it off my head after each practice until he said, get away from me, Gil. You're embarrassing me. So I'm over here with the halfbacks. And I notice all these guys' legs are as big as me. One leg as big as me. And the coach walks over. Tim, what are you doing over here? I'm going to be a halfback, man. I'm going to be like Gail Sears or like a receiver or, or, or some. And I started naming all these halfbacks in the 70s. I'm going, I'm going man, I, I want to be like the Packers. I want to be like... Well, maybe not like the Packers at that time. But I wanted to be, you know, good. And, and he goes, Tim, I don't know if this is really the place you ought to be. What are you saying? And he had that look in his eyes that says, I don't even know if you're big enough to be water boy. How much do you weigh, Tim? I weigh 98 pounds. Did you say 98? I hear laughter. And then I watch one of these guys that has a leg, huge, big legs, 200-pound farm plowboy get the ball handed to him, and he runs into these guys that are 260-pound, all muscle, and they break him in half. 
And I decided right there, you know, coach, I, I used to think you were intolerant. Now I agree with you. I think I'm going to go be a kicker. And I worked my way over to the kickers. Do you have a weight tolerance? Are you intolerant? What about age? What about age? Hey, Tim, you're getting closer and closer to touchy stuff here. I know, but we do. Don't we practice intolerance of age? Don't tell me. Come on. I know we do. I, I had tea party with Nora the other day on FaceTime. I've got my phone at my house. She's got her phone. She goes, tea party, papa, tea party. I go, okay, tea party. And I get the tea party stuff out, and I'm... And I give her... I, I, I get real close to the camera on my iPhone, and I go, go ahead, Nora. And she goes... And I go, tea party. Carmody. I get a call from Carmody. Two years... Here she is. She's on the phone, and she's like, hi, papa, let's eat, Pete. She learned that from me. And I said, Carmody, what you doing? Oh, Minnie needs a checkup. Well, that's nice. And so I put my eye real close to the camera, so all she sees is one big eye. Oh, ha, 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 funny. Huh? Now that's a, that I get. Don't you think it'd be a reach if I said, hey, Carmody, I want you to show up because I, Denise didn't make it in. I want you to answer the phone at the shop. Hello, C&W Abo Glass. This is comedy. You want to speak to Peepaw? I don't think I want that. I don't want that. No, 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 no. I mean, there's certain ages you just go, that ain't going to work. We use age discrimination all the time. It's sad sometimes somebody who's older, who's capable of the job, won't be hired because the health insurance premium will be too high for their employer. So they won't hire them. They should be more tolerant, we'd say. Of course, especially when you're my age. We're more sensitive to that, see. Okay, what are you trying to say, Tim? Well, what about morals? There's what I was trying to get to. What about morals? How tolerant should I be with morals? Should I be intolerant? you got to have both. I mean, do I... If someone comes up to me that has trouble, has a drinking problem, and they want to drive a school bus, and they want to use me as a reference, what do you do? What would you do? We live in a society that is changing the definition of tolerance. Our culture is slowly introducing a new tolerance. Dr. James Kennedy said this. He said that the new tolerance means this. Not only do you put up with and endure and bear with those who have different views and habits and or lifestyles than your own, but you must agree with their views as well. Furthermore, you hold that their lifestyle is equally true and equally valid as your own. And therefore, there's no possible way that you could be intolerant because there's nothing to be intolerant of. Furthermore, you must even be willing to promote and endorse that other lifestyle since it is allegedly every bit as good as yours. See, there's a new tolerance in Thyatira. There's a new tolerance in this church 
Look what it says here in Revelation 2. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate, circle that. You tolerate the woman, that woman Jezebel. I, want you, I told you, I said something to you earlier. God has a toleration. He, he has a point. He has a line. He has a place where He goes, I will tolerate up to a point. Thyatira has a point where they'll tolerate. And guess what, folks? It's different. It's different. Look, look at this. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idol. Now Jesus says, I have given her time to repent. Is he tolerating her? Has he tolerated her church? I've given her time to repent, but she's unwilling. And look what he says. So I will cast her on the bed of suffering. I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I'll strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I'm just a mean, mean... No. They'll know that I am He who searches the hearts and minds and will repay each of you according to your deeds. I'm a God of justice. But did you, did you see that? I gave her time to repent. Isn't that an expression of love? I, I want you to know, I read this. They're, they're tolerating something different than the Lord tolerates. In fact, they tolerate more than God tolerates. And what's it lead to? Deeper sin. It breaks the church down. We've got to get this figured out, folks. When I read this, the first thing I thought was, wow, Jesus, you don't sound like, like, like the Jesus I know. I mean, where's the love? Your neighbor is yourself, man. Right? Man, that's pretty, pretty rough. I mean, I mean, you tolerated all kinds of people. And you're right. You are right. Jesus Christ, here it is. He's saying, look, I am the Son of God. I have the eyes of fire and the feet of bronze. And what I'm going to tell you is this is how you should define your to- you, you should define what and who you tolerate through my example. Did Jesus tolerate people? All kinds of people, didn't He? Woman caught in adultery. Woman had five husbands and the one she was with tolerated her. Tolerated those smug Pharisees. And, and the disciples, Peter, boy, Peter, you're a handful. Tolerate him? Absolutely. And he even tolerates the people on the, while he's on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he tolerates this person in this church. And I want you to know, if you're living a double life, by the grace of God, by, only by the grace of God, Jesus tolerates you. And He wants you to change. See, all these people that He tolerated, He also said things like this, stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. I do not condemn you either. Go and leave your life of sin. You whitewashed tombs, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right about you. Get behind me, Satan. I'm Peter. No, you're not. Because you have the things in your head, the things of the world of men, and not the things of God. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing from the cross. Can you just see the crowd going, what are you, what are you saying that for? What are you trying to imply with that? You're doing something wrong. 
and you need the forgiveness of God. And instead of calling, like that one song says, 10,000 angels, because he could have been, he could have just went blank funny and legions would have come and wiped them out like those Nazis and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Just melted them all. But why doesn't he do that? Because he tolerates. Well, that's what I'm doing. You see, Jesus, what I notice about this, he tolerates sinners to help them leave their sin, not to continue to live in it. Let me say it again. Jesus tolerated people to help them leave their sinful life, not to continue to live in that sinful life. And see, we're called to accept and admire and promote the sinful lives in our culture. You can't do that. We can't do that here and be the church God wants us to be. We will fail. We will fail. Did the church in Thyatira succeed or fail? Well, today, 98% of the country of Turkey is Islamic. You hear me? What used to be a place that was saturated with Christians is now 98% Muslim. Ephesus is no longer there. Smyrna, no longer there. Well, a remnant. And Thyatira... Their impact, their influence is no longer there. Don't tell me that it doesn't matter what we believe here and what we do here. Stop telling me. Don't imply. Oh, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know. I'm not very important. Stop talking like that. Because let me, let me tell you something, folks. If you don't take up what God has given you, this nation will be 98% Muslim someday. He tolerates it. Jesus loves people where they are, but He loves them too much to let them stay there. He loves them enough to hold them accountable. And isn't that, isn't that a great model for you and I? That we model how we tolerate, how we deal with our culture like Jesus did. Let me read some verses to you as a close. Look, look what the Bible encourages us to do. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against sin. He's saying you've got to hold each other accountable. You've got to love people like Jesus did. Tolerate one another, but call one another to maturity and growth and change. Love each other, but don't love the sin. It says here in Colossians 3, Let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom He gives. We cannot look the other way. Guys, the problem in Thyatira was in the church, not just the culture. It was in the church. We can't look the other way when we see something that needs to change. You don't do anybody any favors by not holding them accountable. Here's Ephesians 
Most likely Thyatira probably heard of this, this passage. Be always humble. Why? Well, be humble. Why? We'll get to it. Be humble. Be gentle. Why? Be gentle and patient. Show your love by being tolerant with one another. Why, why is he saying these things? Because the church in Ephesus, if you remember, did not have love. They were harsh to each other. They were harsh. They took a strong stand on sin, but they sure were harsh. He says, man, you need to remember something. What's that? That you do have a life just like everybody else. You fall short of God's glory too. Let it humble you. And when, and, and when you're talking to one another, try to be gentle and patient. Because that's how you show your love. That's what tolerance is. Humility, gentleness, and patience with people. So when somebody says, well, I live an alternative lifestyle, I don't jump all over them and call them out and condemn them. I have no right to condemn anybody. I fall just as short of God as they do. Now, I know we like to think that's different, but that's not true. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And last time I checked the definition of all, that meant everything and everybody. Including me. So I should be humble and gentle and patient. Why? Because I'm trying to help somebody. Like Jesus said, I'm giving them time to repent. I'm giving them time to change. I'm giving them the love of God. Like Jesus did when He was here on earth. Wrote this down. Ephesus didn't take their love far enough, so they were harsh. Thyatira took their love too far and they lost their intolerance, their judgment. You see, I don't love God when I overlook my sin and I don't love like God when I overlook yours. You know, we live in difficult times, don't we? It's tough to figure this out, this tolerance thing. I don't think we should be jerks. Just be Jesus with people. And I, I'm challenged by that, maybe more so than some of you here, because I, I find myself, as I grow older, my temper gets shorter, my tolerance gets tighter. All I know is if, if I and you and I will just agree to listen to the words of Thyatira and obey these words, Two things will happen. We will reign powerfully like Christ. We'll, be, we'll have... Not, I don't know if the word is control, but we'll be in a position where our culture is not going to affect us as much. Because we reign with Christ. He gives us a scepter of iron that can crash pottery. He says, just like I reign, you can reign. You can live above this stuff and you'll receive the morning star. Which is what? You'll receive me. Tonight, when you're outside, um, look outside, you'll see the moon and you'll see the morning star. It's Venus. It's bright. It's like, it's huge. And every morning it comes up before the sun does. It, and it's the star that welcomes it welcomes you to the day. I am here and the sun is coming. 
daylight is coming. I want you to know this morning, we trust the Lord. If we'll trust the Lord, we'll refuse to live this double life and we'll hold each other accountable. We'll be the church. We'll be a church that God wants that displays the morning star as it, as it should be. You have a card in your bulletin and the card is just a, a simple response card and, and um, maybe you want to respond to this lesson with a statement or with a decision or with a question or perhaps you have something else you want us to pray about. Um, those cards are taken up. I say this often, but we really do take those cards up and only a handful of people see those cards. We don't distribute them to everybody. Prayer team gets to see them. I get to see them. Alan gets to see them. Gary gets to see them. You know, we, we, want, we, want to pray, we want to pray for you and we pray that you'll use this. I pray that you'll use this opportunity. We're going to sing a song giving you an opportunity to um, fill out those cards and then we'll, it'll be followed by another song as we close out the service. Um, enjoy today. This is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. Um, And may you be a people, may we be a church that will please the morning star. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for this this passage, Lord. Tough passage. And Father, whenever I think about how far do I go with my tolerance and my intolerance, I just need to look to your Son and He shows me so much. There's a lot of confusion, Father, about what it means to, to tolerate sinners and tolerate their life. And the culture just is trying to redefine it all the time. We're, we're, being, we're being pressured to accept things that Your Word blatantly condemns and what's, what's changed. Father, help us be people that love You enough that will trust You over everything else in life. Father, help us be the kind of people and the kind of church, kind of member that brings our love and our faith into everything we do so we can glorify You, Father. Help us refuse and resist the temptation to live a double life, to, live, to, to separate our, our spiritual life into two parts to where one is spiritual, one is secular. Let us help us see that everything is spiritual now. And Father, we pray, help us express God's love and like your son Jesus. He was always respectful of people. Oh, a couple of times he got a little hot-headed, Father, and we can understand why. But would you just help us to, to love people in our culture and especially each other in a way that brings out the best, the best in us. Father, we, we trust You with these instructions. We have ears. We pray that we'll hear it today and that we begin to change right now. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.